I'm going to be talking about a really cool topic tonight. Um, how many of you know that we're kind of in, this is the season, this season we're in right now is a very spiritual season, has a lot of spiritual implications. And I don't mean because of Halloween, because we're past that. I mean because we are in the middle of a political season right now. Tuesday is the um, voting day. I hope you've all voted. We did early voting, right? Um, and then we've got Christmas coming up, which is another spiritual, and Thanksgiving, another spiritual um, event happening on our calendar. And so I thought it would be really timely to talk about some things that we can face during this time. And I'm going to be what Chip Valandra has called an exhorter. I'm going to exhort you to right thinking and right living. Is that okay? So I want to start out with um, Colossians 3, 1 through 12. That's my uh, verse, kind of my front verse. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. You know, this is kind of um, along the lines of Joyce Meyer who talks about the battlefield of the mind. Everything is in the battlefield of the mind. What we do, what we say, what we think comes out of what we believe in our mind, right? So sometimes our mind and our thinking can get off track, and then we can get off track with behavior and even our beliefs sometimes, right? Um, A long time ago, I think... David was probably two or three years old, hadn't had Christian yet, and we, my husband at the time and I had purchased a Cessna, I think it's called a 172, I know it ends with 72, but it's, uh, it was a small aircraft that you just use for personal pleasure, my dad was a pilot, and he, it's so funny, my dad has been a pilot his whole life, and he owned a small plane, a Mooney, and um, he kept it at a farmer's um, airfield in the middle of like a cornfield. This is Pennsylvania, okay? So it's this kind of small jicky jack airport. And I am not exaggerating when I say the runway goes like this, up and down and up and down and up and down. So when you land on it or take off, you're like on hills. And you're like, how does that work even? But this was this, this was the aircraft in Pennsylvania and the actual um, where we bought our plane was from this kind of mom-and-pop kind of situation. And we bought this airplane just for our own personal pleasure. And there were many times that we'd go up in this airplane, and if you get up really, really high, kind of above the clouds, it's completely clear. You can see for miles and miles and miles, and it is smooth as glass. It's awesome. But there was another time that we were on this plane, and we, we lived at that time in North Carolina, which was about eight hours from my dad, and we were flying up to see him, and for some reason we had taken off maybe a little bit later in the afternoon, because it's really about a two-hour flight to fly up there, but while we were up there, all this weather moved in, and it got really dark, and were you guys around when it started snowing this morning? It snowed like that for two hours, just pelted like a blizzard, and needless to say, I was not well in my stomach for two hours. And neither was my son, little David, strapped in the car seat for two hours in the back. I'd turn around at him, and he'd just be like, you know, just all, we were just, it was a mess. We were up and down and up and down. We were gripping the seats, praying to God that we would land. And because this place we were supposed to land was the 
up and down and up and down runway, we had to actually call into Chambersburg and say, we need to land at this commercial air, airport because it's not safe for us to land. Because <laughs> on top of the up and down runway, they had telephone wires. Like, you had to go over the telephone wires to land on the up and down runway in the middle of a cornfield. Welcome to Pennsylvania. So we were like, yeah, we can't do that because I think that would kill us, right? So we radioed, radioed ahead, and they allowed us to land in Chambersburg because it was, truly was an emergency because it was so, so bad. And we landed, and we were fine, and I think I got out and kissed the ground. I'm serious because it was, it was that horrible. But my point to you is this. Aircraft have two ways of flying. When you're in a... Um, one like that, you're, you're flying what's called VFR, which stands for Visual Flight Rules. That means that as long as it's daylight out and you can see the horizon, you can navigate and you know how to land and all that. You're not supposed to be using a VFR plane to fly at night like what we were doing. That's super dangerous. So they have something else called IFR. I'm going to read this to you. VFR stands for visual flight rules, and IFR means instrument flight rules. Depending on the weather conditions, a pilot may opt for one set of rules or the other. There are a number of other factors that influence the decision, but for simplicity's sake, it's the weather that makes you fly either VFR or IFR. What happens is, when a person gets the reason um, IFR is so important to learn how to fly by, is because there's times when you're flying in a plane and you can't see the horizon and you can't see um, how you're going to land or how you're going to fly and you have to tr trust your instruments, right? You have to fly what's called um, IFR. You have to look at your, it's called an attitude um, gauge. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, right. And then every plane has two of them. Because what happens is pi pilots get so disoriented when they're flying that they think they're flying straight when they're flying down to the ground or they're flying into a mountain. That's why you have so many um, crashes in this area because people get so disoriented and confused they smack right into a mountain because they're going by what they can see, not by what their gauges tell them. And in this kind of a plane, they have two gauges because you, one gauge might fail, right? And you could be like, oh, that's not right. But the second gauge doesn't. And it's always to remind the pilot, fly by your gauges, not by what you see, especially when you're in bad weather. Because when you're in bad weather or it's dark or it's snowing, you can't even tell where the ground is. And you might be so anxious or panicky just trying to get the plane landed. You need to know what you're doing, and you've got to fly by your gauges. It's a really big deal. So this brings to me what I'm talking about. You can only imagine. Sometimes the weather of our life and our climate gets so bad that we are flying by what we think we can see, and we're not checking our gauges right? We're making decisions that is impacted by what's in the news, what's in the politics, what other people are saying, and we're not lining that up with the gauges that God has given us, which is what? The Word of God, the Bible. So I want to talk about two things that we need to be especially careful of in this time of the year. Okay, 
Um, Jesus, Jesus called it the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. The American Heritage Dictionary defines leaven this way. It's an agent such as yeast that causes batter or dough to rise, especially by fermentation, or an element, influence, or agent that works subtly to lighten, enliven, or modify a whole. Now, most of the time when leaven is spoken of in the Bible, it's a negative thing. Not always. There are some positive things. But the idea is that a little bit goes a long way. So you don't want even a little bit of sin to influence you because it will, it will influence way more than just what you think. It will influence everything that you see and how you think. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, listen, the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisee can really do you damage, and you need to watch out for that. And it will change the way you think and see things if you're not careful. I am going to give the def first definition, the leaven of Herod. A lot of people smarter than me have different definitions, but this is my definition, Okay. A political spirit which exalts civil law above God's moral law or an exaltation of government as the final authority and therefore the final solution for all of the world's problems. <laughs> right? Political spirit. And here's what happens, you guys. We forget as Christians and perhaps as people this is my opinion, but I believe it's biblical, of the role of government in our world, okay? First of all, let's talk about what government is and what it's not from a biblical point of view, okay? Number one, government is ordained by God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So first of all, we know that government is God's agent on earth. Secondly, we are to be subject to our government. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the empire, emperor, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. So now we're, we're supposed to be subject to our government. Third, but when the government conflicts with God's law, God is supreme. We obey God when government conflicts with God's law. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Those are three good things. Here's the fourth. Government is an agent of God to protect people from evil and to, quote, sustain a stable social order in which people can live peacefully and quietly without fear of harm. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So this is what government is supposed to be. It is supposed to be a guardrail that guards us from going off a cliff. And it steers us in the right direction. But government is not the destination. Government is a way to get to a destination. And it's a guardrail that protects us from falling off the side of a cliff. It is God's instrument for our protection. 
but it is not the kingdom and it is not the destination. And what happens is we get caught up in a political spirit that says government has all the answers. And I'm here to tell you it does not have all the answers and was never meant to have all the answers. It was never meant to be God, Savior on this earth. It is merely an agent of God. And, an, and an, really sometimes not a good one. If you look back at when we were studying um, Daniel and um, all the different types of rulers, uh, rulers in Babylon, they were mostly evil, except for Nebuchadnezzar who kind of came to his senses after he got turned into a crazy ox thing, right? And he finally came to his senses. But up until then, he was not godly. But here's the thing. The example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were godly men that retained their godliness even though they served an evil king. That's the example for us, you guys. They didn't buy into the Babylonian system. They weren't convinced that what he was doing was right, but they served him in godliness. But when his way came up against God's way, they stood for God. They were in the fiery furnace saying, you know what, he may burn us up, but we're for God. Daniel got thrown in the lion's den for what he believed. He goes, oh, well, I guess I'm going to the lion's den. Because for him, kingdom was first, not government. Right? Amen? All right. So the second thing is the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees can be defined like this. A hypocritical, judgmental, and legalistic way of promoting and conducting religious activities in life. A religion that focuses on outward expressions to the detriment of inward holiness and humility. It is self-serving and not God-serving. My scripture for this is Luke 12, 1. By now a crowd of many thousands had gathered around Jesus, so many people pushed to be near him. They began to trample on one another. Jesus turned to his disciples and warned them, make sure you are not influenced by the hypocrisy hypocrisy and phoniness of the religious leaders. It permeates everything they do and teach, for they are merely serving their own interests. Some people call it the spirit of religion. So we've got the spirit of Herod, which is the spirit of government, and the spirit of the Pharisees, which is the spirit of religion. Those are not for either one. Neither one of those are for us. Some people, some symptoms of this, if you see it, are Things like control, manipulation, shame, rules versus grace, and emphasis on behavior, not on relationship. You know, a little leaven can do a lot of damage because sometimes we, um, we become so saturated with the things that we see out there that we don't even see straight. Our lens becomes dirty, if you will. Have you ever um, lived in an area that has those really um, fine gnats that come out in the spring sometimes or whatever? Um, I think they have them in the south because I remember in the south you would drive through a, um, like a cloud of those and it would completely cover your windshield, right? And you'd have to like, with your, you know, to get rid of it and stuff. It was real, real gross. But, am I right? But, you can see how a cloud of those bugs 
would make it hard to see very well out your windshield because it clouds what you're seeing, right? But yet you have to drive through it to get where you're going, like you're going to the grocery store or whatever. You've got to go through that cloud. You can't go around it, and they fly everywhere, so how can you avoid them, right? It's just part of it. But you have to remember that they're covering up your windshield. They're not giving you an accurate picture of what's outside. That's what happens in seasons like this. We're driving through clouds, and we're getting... How many people, how many of those dumb postcards have you got in the mail? Right? I don't even know what's true or not true. And how many of those commercials are we seeing? Are we just ready to be done with those things? Those, that type of rhetoric can cloud your windshield so that you don't see correctly. Because you have to go through it. We're of this world. We're not in the world but we're of the world, of the world, opposite. We're not of the world, we're in the world, sorry. We, we live here, I mean, we're all gonna like watch TV and probably have Facebook accounts and stuff like that, and we're gonna see it, and we're gonna get, we're gonna run through this, this cloud of bugs, but we've gotta learn to clean our windshield off, right? Or we're not gonna get anywhere, and we're gonna run into people, and we're not gonna be safe because we're not seeing things well through this windshield. We've got to clean our windshield off. We've got to fly by our gauges, not by what we see. Our gauges were given to us for a reason. We're kingdom dwellers. We belong to the kingdom, not the world. We see things differently, and we have a different litmus test, and it's Jesus Christ. It really is, what would Jesus do? Everything that we see in this political season and in this spiritual season, we run through our filter of what would Jesus do? Not what does the media say we're supposed to do? Not what does this political party say we're supposed to do? Not what this preacher says we're supposed to do. What does the Holy Spirit tell us to do? So, amen. amen. <laughs> you know what Hitler said? He said, if you tell a lie often enough, people will eventually believe it. Do you know that he convinced people to kill their neighbors? You understand that the Jewish people didn't live in separate neighborhoods until they got put into ghettos. They live right next door to you and me. So when Hitler told this lie over and over and over and over, he talked people into harming the people they lived next to because he told that lie often enough. We have got to be careful of that kind of leaven. So I'm going to give you some signs and symptoms of a transformed mind because God says we're supposed to be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm going to give you some, some seven things that are going to be um, guidelines for you as, to, as if your mind is transformed. All right? <clears throat> First one is we live in hope. Any thought in my mind that does not lead to hope is rooted in a lie. That's from Bill Johnson. When something goes wrong, instead of saying to ourselves, oh, my life is over, the worst is going to happen, we say, you know what? The best is going to happen. God's going to redeem this. God's going to work it out. We all know people who are half glass, half empty people, right? Versus glass, half full people. Who would you rather be around? Because? Because they're positive. 
because they have hope. If we don't think about the future with hope, we are actually partnering with the enemy. Do you get that? That's a big, big deal. We're partnering with the enemy. We're partnering with a lie if we don't see the future with hope. Secondly, the impossible seems reasonable. When God says he's going to do something we've never seen before, we believe him. We don't doubt him. We don't say, well, that couldn't possibly happen. We say, you know what? God can do anything. He raised people from the dead. He can do it again. He did it then. He can do it again. We believe what God says about us in this world. Three, we live in peace and we don't worry. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there's three things that cause strongholds. Arguments, lofty opinions, and thoughts. Do you know this? And I can speak about this because I've had anxiety. Anxiety is rooted in, in strongholds and speculations. And it is not from the Lord. And that's, I'm not condemning anyone because I had anxiety. I, I know what anxiety feels like. But it is not from God. <laughs> three, the strongholds that, that he's talking about here are three things. Arguments, lofty opinions, and thoughts. And we are to take them, all of them captive to obey Christ. If we have any argument or thought or lofty opinion that opposes Jesus, it is not from God. It is not from a transformed mind. It is actually from powers and principalities that are trying to establish a stronghold in your life. Because, like Joyce Meyer said, the battle is in the mind. So if, if the enemy can come at you with a stronghold of a thought or an argument or a lofty opinion, he can change the direction of where you're going. Right? So it's always the battlefields in the mind. That's why transforming your mind, watching your windshield, flying by the gauges is the most important thing. Because our mind has to be renewed over and over. And we take captive our thoughts. Lofty opinions. Absolutely, yeah. You're not, if they don't line up with your gauges, what God says about you or anybody else, it's, it's an actual opposes the Lord. And we have to take it captive in our mind. The things that I struggle with usually are fear, fear and anxiety. What does the scripture say about fear? I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So when that thought comes at me, I'll say, wait a minute, does that line up with the scripture? No, because I've not been given a spirit of fear. And so I start to rebuke fear and take captive that thought. Is it easy? It is not easy. When I have anxiety and I have fear, it is absolutely the enemy trying to establish a stronghold in my life so he can derail me from my destiny. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Am I on four or five? I don't know what I'm on. Four. This is a good one. I like myself 
and I rejoice in my weakness, knowing that when and where I am weak, he is strong. We engage in him in our weakness and look for his engagement. And we do not engage in perfectionism. Here's the thing. Perfectionism is actually, are you ready? An addiction. It's an addiction. We're looking for approval in what we do. That is not a transformed mind. That is absolutely not the way that God sees us, and it does not line up with who he sees us. He, especially nowadays. Right? Comparing ourselves to other people, not feeling good enough, that is absolutely not lining up with who God says we are. And, and when we demand perfectionism from ourselves or other people, it's absolutely not flying by the gauges. Absolutely not. Five? Six? Five? I'm quick to forgive and I freely give others grace and mercy. I don't hold grudges. Man, I can struggle with this. I'll tell you straight up. Anyone else struggle with this every now and then? Thank you. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to go to and say, help me in this weakness of mine. I need to forgive. I need to let go of this grudge. Six? I'm confident and thankful. You know, a lot of people think that confidence is arrogance, but here's the test for confidence. If you're confident without being thankful, that's called arrogance. Right? If you're confident without being thankful, then you need to test yourself for some arrogance. But you can be confident and thankful, and that's godliness. Because we can be confident in the Lord. We can be confident in who he called us to be. We can be confident in our strengths. But we're always thankful, and we always walk with a, with a, a position of humility. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Seven. This is a good one. I believe in others and give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what other people's motives are, and we can maybe sometimes only know our own motives. And even then, our motives can be really hidden from us, right? Did you ever have a, um, an emotion come at you? And you're like, man, why do I feel this way? Like everything's going fine, but then there's this weird thing in your stomach. And you're like, why do I feel this way? And then you think about it and think about it. And four hours later, somebody else like hurt your feelings or something. But you're still carrying that hurt with you. And you didn't realize that it stayed with you that long. I think that's sometimes the way our own motives are. We think we know our own heart. And we think we know our own motives, but sometimes we don't, you guys because of our filters and what's going on inside of us. So if we don't know our own motives, how in the world can we ever know anybody else's? Right? How can we ever know anybody else's motives unless we simply ask them? Have you ever met people that are super suspicious people? They're like negative and they, they're just suspicious of everything. And, they, and they, they're almost like conspiracy theorists people. They just suspect everybody's motives and every... every <laughs> you're not that way you're not that way <laughs> these people are suspicious of everybody and they accuse people of everything of lying of whatever and usually what it is is because that's who they are inside because their own motives are that way and they project those motives onto somebody else and you even hear some Christians say well that's just my discernment I discern that about them but you know what this is a really good thing Chris Valentin says and I love it he says yeah, your discernment doesn't work when you're mad. That's not called discernment. So if you're mad, 
you ain't got no discernment. You don't even get to pull that card out. You just need to say you're mad, you know? So I just think that's kind of funny. So I'm just going to wrap it up here. It's really easy to take on the spirit of the world without knowing it. We, we have to drive through those bugs. We have to um, navigate this world. But the thing is, if we're not careful, it will change the way that we see things. It'll change the way that we actually um, relate to people because we'll be so influenced. We have to guard our hearts. And what can happen is that, um, do you remember back in uh, the Old Testament when Moses went, God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, set my people free. Do you remember that? And there were those ten plagues. Well, the first three plagues that happened, um, the, the um, sorcerers of Pharaoh's court could duplicate them. The snake coming alive, the blood, turning the water to blood, and the frogs, the plague of frogs. And so what happens is, it seems like that whenever God is doing something good and there's a move of God in this earth, the enemy, to discredit it, comes in to pervert it and to confuse us. You know, there's been several movements that have actually been kind of good. The Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter. Anything that comes from a place of righteousness to, to establish freedom, anything like that to expose sin, that you can believe that comes from the Lord. But here's what happens. The Lord starts it, and the enemy comes in and tries to pervert it. All right? And he goes into these movements, and it gets into the secular world, and it goes all crazy, and then all kinds of crazy things are happening. It doesn't mean those two things were wrong. It means they got perverted. All right? And what happens is people like you and me are like, man, I don't even want to touch those things because it's so fraught with emotion that I don't even, you know, I'll just stand over here in my corner in a, us four and no more, and I'll let you, the world, deal with it. But you know what the Lord says? That's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to be part of this world, to pastor, and to bring kingdom perspective to that stuff. Because what happens is, you'll love this, this metaphor, there's so many snakes in the pit, we don't know which one's God and which one is the sorcerers. And I'm not saying either those people are snakes, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying we look down and we say, well, I'm confused. Which snake is which? Is this, is this Aaron's snake that he threw down or is this the sorcerer's snake? Should I be even involved? I'm not going to worry about it because I don't know which. That doesn't work, you guys. We're called to be engaged. We're called to pastor what's going on in this world through the lens of Jesus Christ. Our lens is always Jesus Christ. It's not the bugs on our windshield. It's not flying into the ground because the weather around us has got us confused. We have to transform our mind and line it up with Jesus Christ so that we, the leaven that we bring in this world, because there is good leaven, the leaven that we bring in this world transforms the world right? So we're not going to be infected by the leaven of Herod or the leaven of the Pharisees. We are going to infect the world, right? Amen? Okay, so let's wrap it up. I'll pray, and then I want you guys to pray with each other like we always do, okay? So Lord, thank you so much for this message, God. I've enjoyed doing it, and I just pray, Father, that you would help us to be a light in this dark world, God, not be tricked or um, somehow sucked into things that are, we are not called to, and things that are going to distort our vision and are going to confuse our mind. Lord, I pray, Father, for a clear mind and clear discernment, that our minds would be transformed, Father, and that you would use us for everything you have destined us to do, God. In Jesus' name, amen.